You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I kind of feel like when you get out of your own way, that's where the magic is. And it's that way with everything. It's not just music. I feel like, you know, athletes, everything. Once you are able to stay present and kind of channel that, whatever that thing is, I can't articulate it, but it, it, it is amazing how the universe will kind of inform you. And I've heard songwriters talk about this before where they're just trying to tap into the song and it's, it's all there. It's just a matter of tapping mm-hmm. to it and grabbing it. Um, and, and there are times where you really just don't feel like you're, you've, you've, it, it's weird as a songwriter, you almost feel like, well, it's all, it's all there. The universe, it's there in the universe. You know, I'm, I'm just, channeling something and i and some people like oh that's bs you know whatever but uh you know, that's super you know mystic and or, or whatever you want to however you want to, to describe that that philosophy but i there have been moments where you songs come about and you're like i don't know how that happened it really mm-hmm. felt like the universe dropped it in my lap Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 2020. Uh, we're not going to get redundant on you now. I'm just going to do my normal intro, and then we, you can move on to the to the featured presentation. My name is Benny Goodman, and I'm here with my cohorts, my compatriots, Corey Peza and Siobhan Cronin. What's going hey, on? Hey, Ben. And this week, we have one of the greatest. We had the GOAT, Nuno Betancourt, on last <laughs> week for guitar, and... I would say that if there was any contention as far as who could be the goat in the rock realm of vocalism, if that's a thing. It is now. This guy, Miles Kennedy, is certainly on that list as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, he's incredible. Incredible guy. So without further ado, check it out. Part one with no thanks to our British ambassador, Steve Wood, for getting him on the show. Thank you, Steve. He's in those credits for a reason. Subscribe. Thanks, Steve. Hello and welcome to another episode of 2020. We are super pumped today to welcome our guest, Mr. Miles Kennedy of Alterbridge. He has a solo record out, Ides of March. He also plays with a little guy named Slash. You know, you might have heard of him. Thank you for joining us, Miles. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and you were connected uh, by uh, via our British ambassador on the show, Steve Wood, who's a dear friend of ours, has been on the show before, and it's really a pleasure to have you here. We've been talking about you. We talked to your bandmate, Mark Tremonti, so we have so many questions for you. It's really an honor to have you on the show. Oh, well, that's very kind. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, so thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing me into the fold here. This will be fun. Absolutely. And, and you, you mentioned that that wonderful mic you're talking into right now. It sounds so sounds crisp. so good. <laughs> it's yeah. red. It's, it's red, red, so it doesn't even have to be good. It, I, I already want to buy it just because it's red. There you go. The Miles Kennedy signature microphone. Shameless, totally shameless plug. But yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty happy with how it sounds. I, I, uh, I'm, uh, you know. So I'm, I'm I'm glad it's coming across well. Yeah. Well, we're well, audio nerds, and what? we're also very shameless. So feel free to. to- <laughs> 
delve into as much as you'd like. You obviously have, you wear in-ears all the time. And I, you have to have a very specific microphone. Apparently, you have your own. What are the qualifications for Miles Kennedy to have his own microphone? Why? What's better about it? Educate this guitarist. Uh, you know, it's got a flex capacitor built right in. So 88 miles an hour, bro. I can't walk, run that fast on stage. <laughs> So this is a true story. Did you? I didn't realize this, but I used to always joke about flex capacitors forever. You know, anything technically, I would be, oh, it's a flex flex capacitor from Back to the Future. Well, I could be wrong here, but I was with a, a very. Uh, he'll remain nameless for now, but <laughs> he's a well-known producer, and he actually told me. He said, "You do realize that there is a flex capacitor in like old analog tape machines." I did, and I was like, "Really? Wow. Interesting." Like, yeah. So I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know, but yeah. So as far as the mic goes, what, what I, yeah, I was, I used this, a very tried and true kind of industry standard mic for probably the first like th- three decades <laughs> of, you know, just being, just doing this, you know, it's, I guess, um, not to age, to age myself, but I've been doing it for a long time and I would not veer away from this mic, from this specific microphone. It was people, would always, engineers would always be like, oh, try this mic or try this mic. And because, you know, people, engineers want to hear certain things. And I was like, yeah, but I'm so used to this, this industry standard. And then someone put this mic in front of me. I was on tour with Alterbridge a few years ago and I was like, okay, we'll try it during sound check, Right. And within, by the time we got to the first chorus, I was just like, I don't know what's going on here. But first of all, it's like the, there's, we always have a problem with cymbals bleeding into these mics, like more than the vocals, mm. you know, sure. <laughs> depending on where I'm standing on stage. So these mics do a pretty good job of, of, of rejecting that. And it just, it's just a very pleasing microphone uh, as far as what I need to hear, you know, all the frequencies are there and, and uh, yeah, so I'm, I love it. It sounds That's amazing. It. I mean, you're the definitely the best sounding guest. I mean, even of all three of us, it sounds phenomenal. That says a lot about our show. <laughs> so it's funny that, that a lot of people, um, like like guitarists and drummers and and a lot of musicians, have to really be selective about their gear. You don't think about vocalists being that picky. Usually, I mean, especially at the level that that I play at, you show up to the club and you get a you get a, a dented fifty eight covered in beer and spit and you're just like all right cool it works we're functioning right. <laughs> <laughs> the dented 58 with and then you look it's funny because you look at the girl at the like the uh um the you know the top part i'm i'm sorry it's the windscreen <laughs> the windscreen geez miles and there's always like food particles and it's just disgusting <laughs> disgusting <laughs> sorry ben no. no no that's i was gonna say i thought it was my density for miles to come on our show density. it was a giant that black Back to the Future thing. That was very good. I you, second, you know, the oh, second I show in a row you've Chuck been able to Barry use that good. reference. It was Chuck Berry good. Because, there's exactly. a, you know, Chuck in fact, good. it's funny you say this because this is a giant Back to the Future joke. I just posted a picture of me with Chuck Berry because I met him one time. And the guy I had to take the picture was Leonard Cohen. And I was so stupid, what? I asked this guy, Leonard Cohen, to fucking take the picture of me and Chuck yeah. Berry, which is just all kinds of weird, because I'm in a room with Leonard Cohen and Chuck Berry, and I give this old man a fucking phone, I'm like, can you point this at me and the father of rock and roll? And you are hugely influenced by Jeff Buckley, which at the time I didn't know, that guy with the fucking fedora wrote Hallelujah. Exactly. He What's did. up with that? You did. It sounds like the story. Have you heard the story? Uh, Wolfgang Van Halen posted a picture of a guy who asked Eddie Van Halen to take a picture of him and Wolfie. <laughs> and told, yes. <laughs> it's like the third level in, of Inception. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wacky world. Oh, my god. Adorable. Gosh. 
Yeah. Well, coming back back to you, Miles, uh, you know, I'm sort of the introspective one of the group here, and I always love to ask our guests a little bit about who they are as people, where they came from, how they were drawn to music. Um, you know, obviously, we all three know about you have listened to your music. I've listened to lots of podcasts that you're in, so I feel like I know you a little already. Can you talk to some of the people that may not know you so well about a little bit about your upbringing, um, you know, how you got drawn to music. Obviously, you started playing guitar at a certain point, discovered being a vocalist. Uh, you have a really interesting story. Yeah. Um, well, I was initially drawn to you know, my first musical memory was being, uh, it was when I lived in, Bo- in Boston. I lived just outside of Boston as a child, and um, I was watching Sesame Street, and they had a special guest that day, and it was Stevie Wonder. And I remember just thinking, whoa, what is this? This is the greatest thing I've, you know, I was four years old. And interestingly enough, it's one of like the earliest memories I have as a child was that moment. So that was a really important moment that helped kind of send me on my way. And I know my, my father, when he was alive, he, he listened, music was always playing in the house. He was really into Scott Joplin and all sorts of crazy stuff. And so I think it was kind of, it was kind of laid out for me, you know, in, in that sense. Um, but then fast forward a few years later and I was trying kind of just a young teenager trying to figure out what, what his identity was going to be and where he was going to, you know, what he was going to do with his spare time. And I was playing, playing, uh, football or something with my little brother in the backyard and all of a sudden eruption came on. You know, Eddie Van Halen, it came on the radio and uh, leading into Girl, You Really Got Me. And I was, that was another one of those moments where it just, every time stopped, you know, everything, I just stopped what I was doing and it was just completely mesmerized. And then about two hours later, Whole I Love came on. So that kind of set it up. That was like the whole thing. And then it was like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to play music somehow. And, And it wasn't so much that I wanted to be like a musician. I just wanted to play i wanted to know what was happening i wanted to try and understand um how to how to achieve some of that awesome stuff that i was hearing and and it was great because it kept me out of trouble and it gave me it gave me a real purpose from an early age you know and and i so i wasn't bouncing around getting into trouble (laughs) i had other friends who were you know doing stuff the kids do and i was locked away in my room trying to figure out how to play eruption (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing and from what i've listened you had you know an interesting family life um you know you i heard that you lost your your father at a very young age and you know i actually lost my dad when i was quite young too and i'm wondering if um you know music if that kind of influenced you a little bit as you were getting into your own and playing if if that's something that you really turned to in music to sort of cope with that um I don't know if you can talk about that at all. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was my, I was, it still is to be perfectly honest with you. It's my, it's kind of the, the saving grace. I mean, I don't, I don't know what I do without it. I don't know how people function without some sort of outlet, some sort of creative outlet, whatever it is that, that kind of gets them, whatever gets you through the night as, as the, <laughs> as the song lyric went. And, um, I, so yeah, I think that having the opportunity to learn, an instrument and uh, instruments and 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 try to um, figure out how to utilize that to express what was going on here was really really helpful and yeah there's there was a lot of loss a lot of as you know you you lose a parent at a young age and you're trying to figure all that stuff out so um, it was it was good to have that outlet the musical outlet to, to kind of sort through that 
Yeah, absolutely. Did you when you gravitated to music, did you get lessons or, you know, how did you how did you learn all these songs and the, the things that you wanted to grab onto? Where did you get the training? Did you were you self-taught? What was that like? Um, so I tried seeing a traditional guitar instructor and he was great. And, but we, we went right to the Mel Bay book and, and I already could read music cause I played trumpet. My mom kind of nudged me in that direction when I was about 10, which was good. So that helped, but I had no desire to play Mary had a little lamb. I wanted to play rock songs. And I had a friend who lived down the street who already knew a few so- songs. So I'd go to his house and he'd t- write in tablature. Like I think I have some of the early ones. One, it was really I remembered that I that I loved was Diary of a Madman. Trying to figure that out, I thought that Randy Rhodes guitar part was amazing. Um, uh, and and then when it came time to like try to understand scales and all that, I ordered. Do you remember Circus Magazine? This was, oh, a, this yeah. was way back in yeah back in the day. And there was always this ad for, with this really cool looking picture that someone had drawn of this dude like holding the guitar, and it was called the Metal Method, Doug Mark's Metal Method, and it was oh, amazing. I- you remember? I remember. Oh yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> it was sweet. And that's what I did. I ordered the Doug Marks metal method and I basically lived in my bedroom with with those audio cassettes and those little books and that's kind of what got me off to the uh st- it started and then I got an ed- you know, Well like, then, oh, then you had to do the double neck like oh I don't know why oh, it's oh, going Michael, Michael, Michelangelo Badio. Badio it's Badio cuz he says Michelangelo Badio I'm going to give you the keys to the Lamborghini. And then he's got the two guitars he's like this is how you do it it's amazing and, you're, and then and, and then of course you have to have the paul gilbert the, the the purple guitar with the crazy hair like just watch me and then like every guitar player and now there's youtube so i actually have a very important question because i saw you first off with with rick beato who i i just learned about this guy's like i feel like he's like the anthony bourdain of music like, <laughs> That's the, like, like this guy analogy. like he kind of looks like him and he's super yeah. cool and then you hear him playing you're like holy shit this guy's he has every reason to be talking to brian may like yeah. i want to hate him but then secretly i'm like now i just want to be that guy yeah, but you right. talked about your guitar playing and and we know a lot everyone's heard the story about how you know mark Tremonti, one of the greatest guitar players on the planet heard you play um you know from the other room was like why is this guy not playing but you've kind of downplayed your guitar playing like you say you see these guys on youtube and all that but i call those guys 45 second warriors because for <laughs> me what's important is the songwriting and the composition and the reason for that solo because there's the rusty coolies and the michelangelo badios and all of that but did they write a thousand words and for me you know having been in the band Lost Symphony, which is what we're in, which is like, I guess, almost like the Olympics of guitar playing, I find the most refreshing thing, something I can hum. You know what I mean? And, and I and I think that with this new album, The Ides of March, like, dude, I could not believe how good the guitar solos are. Wow. Like, you're not pretending that like you're not good anymore, are you? Like you're not being humble about this because it's like sounds like Greg Howe and Eric Johnson made a baby then played better. Oh geez, now that's 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 too kind. And I'm- you did the greatest thing ever. I'm gonna one last thing. If people doubt you on guitar, you you just pull out a slide, and then everyone's like, "Holy shit, he can play slide." Well, I I do like I I try, you know look I I that's wow that's really nice. Um, I look I'm a fan of guitar. I like guitar and. I really, really enjoy it, but um, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I, I guess the way I look at it is like the moments when you're not, because I guess I'm, 
like songwriting is so important to me but then those yeah those moments where you have the opportunity to play a solo I always hope that it's like somewhat melod- there's a melodic element to it and then there are just a few punctuated with a few little runs here and there to kind of like you know it says something it, it cre- that's what I love when I listen to certain guitar players when they execute a certain passage you know a technical passage if it's it can be it can be it can be emotion just as emotional as a as, as a as a as a wonderful bend with vibrato and so it's it's really just trying to balance all that and and ultimately like we talked about earlier it's that trying to express something you're trying to just kind of purge (laughs) have this emotion and sometimes solos help you do that but i honestly i don't consider myself in the realm of even the guys you just you know those guys are like a-list players i'm i'm a singer who, who who loves to play guitar and 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 whatnot but but i appreciate the kind words thank you So at what point did you discover yourself as a singer or more so even a songwriter? Because, you know, for example, me, right, I'm an instrumentalist, I play violin, and I have the worst, hardest time trying to write even a a melody, you know, because it's just I have the opposite brain. (laughs) So at what point did you discover your your ability to do that and like kind of indulge in it? Um, It was kind of early. Um so I was in a band in, when I was about 16 or so. I'd only been playing guitar for about a year or two at that point. And um, so we started playing covers like you, you, we all do. And and then we were like, well, let's do some originals. So started writing riffs and whatnot and bringing them to the band and didn't really think much of it. I thought everybody could just write. And in fact, I, I was more... Because I knew guys who could play like Ingve solos, like oh, now that's what I wanted. To do. Like, how do they do that? This is just writing my own song. I didn't. I don't think I took. I guess I took it for granted initially. So it was it was pretty early out of the gate um, that that I started to try to develop that, not understanding how. I guess how important it would be later on in life. So I'm I'm kind of grateful. Yeah. And what about singing? So you were writing songs as a guitar player mm-hmm. primarily first, right? So at what point did you start singing? Well, I mean, the first gig I ever sang at was, uh, it was, it was, it was in 1986 at the, what's called the drug free rock off here in Spokane where I live now. And was McGruff the crime dog there? <laughs> was Mc, remember that if it was that time period McGruff the crime dog should have been there probably was he probably <laughs> probably jammed <laughs> we, we um so yeah we played this this comp this battle of the bands and everybody took turns singing it, we had five songs and one guy did a Hendrix song another guy did, I, temp, I think a Rush song another guy sang a Rush song and I got elected to do rock and roll by Led Zeppelin because um i just i don't know for whatever reason so that that was the moment where um i i that was like my coming out as a singer and um interestingly enough then i didn't do it for another i don't know it was probably four or five years i just wasn't hardwired for it out of the gate i just wanted to play guitar do a solo go back hang out with the (laughs) I didn't have to, I didn't want to be the center of attention and uh, it seemed like a lot of work and there was a guy I was playing in bands with through high school and he was great at it he was a total his name is Jason Stewart he was a total star the guy was amazing like so I was like I'm not gonna I can't do that <laughs> and then but it really came it became necessary when I was um really writing songs like doing the vocals and the lyrics and the, all that then it was like okay you got you got to learn you got to do this accept it and go with it yeah, absolutely. I, I, I read that you actually went to college for music, correct? And you studied, was it music theory or something kind of technical within music? 
I studied a whole bunch of technical geeky stuff. Um, um, yeah, I studied uh, music theory for a couple years. And um, j so I was a com commercial music jazz studies. That was my major. So I could do everything. Did you have any friends at all? <laughs> um, we were all kind of a tight-knit group of just complete nerds that would hang out all the time who just, you know, obsessed about music but outside of that no i've i've never been cool i've never had a ton of friends just because i'm a, i'm a music nerd and <laughs> in fact i was a uh in high school i was in the marching band as well and um we used to get a lot i mean we're they call us band geeks and they would sure they, the jocks would make fun of us and you know it's just that's the thing but <laughs> <laughs> so that was back in the trumpet days correct trumpet days yeah <laughs> trumpet days and uh yeah, so so I was always a music nerd, and I and I it was great because it was like finding my tribe. It was like, you know, you you find like minded individuals, and this is kind of what we were talking about earlier. When you discover something you're really passionate about, and you're you're you gravitate towards people, it's like magnet. You all you, you come together, and you 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 have a common purpose. And well, I feel like that used to be true because like you could walk down the street and see someone wearing an Iron Maiden shirt, and you're like. Maiden, you just look at it. Now it's like Kendall Jenner is wearing the Maiden shirt, and now we don't know if the girls really are like wearing the Slayer Hella weights, and they've actually listened to it, or they're like, "What? What? What are you talking? It's on your shirt." It's on, but back in the day, I felt like as a metalhead, you're right. You could walk around like, okay, he's wearing a Queen shirt. He's cool. He's wearing a Megadeth shirt. Like he's one of the metal dudes, but he's again cool. Like Marty era, that's awesome. Right. But like now, it's confusing. Like, do you feel like music as far as like what you what you grew up listening to? Like, who inspired you like to be the guitar player that you are? Because when I listen to this record, like you know, it's so there's like fusion and jazz and all this funky stuff. And I, and I went and like looked up your influences and it's all over like the board, like a guy like Frank Gumbali, like tell me about that. Cause I love Gumbali and yeah. I hear it now. Gumbali, had you, have you seen, there's a really great in interview that Rick Beato does with him. It's a, so you got to check it out. Of course out. he does. No. Yeah. <laughs> of course he does. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Frank Gumbali. So I saw Frank Gumbali perform in the late, I was, it was, yeah, it was, I was in the late 80s. He was with Chick Corea's Electric Band. And it was just completely mind-blowing. And I went through a period where I was trying, <laughs> trying to emulate his sound. I, I, you know, I found a Macy Boogie amp that was similar to what he used. And I had the Ibanez Sabre. And I was, but there's no way I was going to do the sweeps the way he did. So I just finally kind of threw in the towel. But How yeah. about the Gumbali tuning? Have you tried the Gumbali tuning? Oh, what's the good Gumbali tuning? Oh, this oh, is going to cool. blow your mind, dude. <laughs> so listen listen to this. Hold on. Sit down. This is amazing. So I saw Frank Gumbali do this, and I'm, look, I'm not that smart, so I can't handle the strange tunings. But this tuning, first off, it plays like a normal open tuning, but listen to this. The bottom string is tuned to A, and then it's all tuned in standard, yeah. but the top two are down an octave, so it's the it's opposite It's like the of opposite of Nashville tuning, tuning but in yeah. A instead of standard. Oh, and when you play it, all the all the notes are very close, like a piano phrasing. So, right. you know, there's a lot of overlapping notes. And, and so if you play just a normal bar chord, it's like a very cool Van Halen style inversion just right. by playing it. So if you want to blow your mind, check out Kambali Tuning. I feel like you should learn how to, you'll immediately write 10 yeah. songs. If you sit down with that, you'll write a song in like 10 minutes. It's right away. It's a very, it's a very interesting Promise way to play you. chords. But you also, so I, it's interesting because I'm writing, I've been chipping away at the next Alter Bridge, you know, batch of songs. And I've used that, that just drop the A, 
uh, drop the E string to an A just because it you know it's fat and low. But he's also doing it on the E string as hot high E string as well. Is that what you're saying? So no, the t- whole thing is in is tuned in. So imagine your second string. So like the bottom string is A, and you just like tune everything up to A standard. So everything's higher, but then you turn the top yeah, two if strings. If you played like an E major shape, an E major shape would play an A major. I see what you're saying. That's yeah. kind of cool. that's awesome. Yeah. And then the top two strings are so low that it gives you like that real close piano feel that right. you get in a lot of those Stevie Wonder where he's just moving one finger and turning it to some crazy chord. He has a video on YouTube that, that he goes through. It's pretty, it's pretty great. I'll check that out. That's awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, kind of talking about the writing, you know, for the new Alter Bridge and stuff. Uh, when we talked to Mark, he had this really, really interesting like description of his kind of uh, demoing and writing process with like you know putting riffs and saving like by like emojis or something and color coding. <laughs> what is your um, go to method like when you're actually sitting down to write and you're kind of compiling ideas? How do you go about building those tracks? Kind of the same way, you know. Mark both Mark and I both embrace the idea of having having a certain fresh perspective. So if you stockpile a bunch of riffs or melodies chord progressions, whatever it is, and then you can go and you might put an emoji by it to indicate you know, out of the hundreds or thousands of ideas you have sitting on your phone or laptop or whatever it is, that this is something you should check, make sure you go back to. So you can go back and listen with kind of fresh ears. You haven't listened to it a hundred times and lost your perspective. And so that's, that's generally what I'll do. And then if I like it, then I'll, I'll spend time demoing it. But I will say I've changed a little bit. We used to be a lot better at just sitting around cataloging riffs and ideas and melodies, but I've gotten a little more impatient I don't want to say impatient, but it's it's almost like I'm a really I'm bad at organizing. So I feel like, well, if there's something that I that I like, I'll set it down for an hour or two, come back and listen with fresh ears and go, okay, yeah, let's go ahead and demo that. Let's go ahead and put the rest of, you know, at least do what I call a shell. So let's come up with a verse and a, and a chorus if the riff works and then I'll put put that, give hand that over to the guys and if that's something that they want to, you know, we'll take that and we'll develop it into a full song and arrange it together. But but yeah, there used to be a time where Mark and I would have, it was, it was crazy. We would have all these parts and we would lay it out do you have a verse that goes with this chorus and and it's in this bpm and it's in this key and and it worked well but it just required in, an incredible amount of patience and that skill of organizing and i think he's he, i i think he still does that probably more than i i do i could be wrong but i, I as the years go on i'm getting more i just want i want to hear it done i want to hear it you know, well, he said he sticks around his house all day singing in his falsetto. So I have to surmise that he's singing for you because he has a wonderful voice himself. Do you ever go over and he's like working on a million songs and he starts singing his Miles falsetto voice at you like, it's like this, dude. And then he's trying to do his, you know, the highest thing he can. And you're trying to decipher it from him. And you're like, Mark, let me sing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but I, I maybe I'll do that. That'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you: When you get ideas, um, writing something, do you get a melody? Is it a lyric? Do you hear chords? I, I'm just always curious because I'm not much of a writer. So I, what what is it that pops into your head when you get the initial idea? Well, it depends. Some, so if I if I'm playing a riff, if I've got some sort of thing that happens and it feels good the you know you know just kind of flow uh that that'll be the genesis of it sometimes like the other day i was hanging out um just walking around the house and i heard it suddenly heard this melody so i grab my phone and 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 try to remember it and 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 catalog and then i'll go back and revisit and put court you know build the chord progression and all and whatnot when you say you suddenly heard a melody what what does that mean 
it's like I hear voices in my head to talk. <laughs> is that the secret (laughs) this is fascinating to me because i'm still waiting for my first good melody to pop in my head everything that i think of is like wait it's violinized you know it's it's totally different (laughs) that's what makes it you though you got to embrace that i guess so yeah if it's violinized i mean it it could be don't don't just don't discount that because you're hearing it you know as a violinist um i think that um for for me um it's uh, dreaming is a big part of it too it's straight, like the uh, the title track of this record of the Ides of March was a, the the genesis of it happened in, in as I was coming out of a dream dream state, you wow. know. It's beyond the blue horizon, and and I was like, my eyes opened up, and I was like, it's kind of early, and it's cold. It's January, and uh, I don't want to get up, and but I I knew it was an important one. I was like, oh, man, just get up, go go in the go in the little family room area and grab a guitar and 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 record it and and real quickly and then go back to bed so so oftentimes the the, the ones that end up becoming important are kind of in that space where you're real your, your mind is really do you clear. think that that's that, that that's actually tapping into something else because it's funny you say that because i'm working with shannon larkin who's the drummer from godsmack and he's one of the most incredible savant guys i've ever met in my life and he sleeps with a notebook next to his bed because he goes, all of my ideas, and he writes these crazy Pink Floyd lyrics, come from a dream state. And, you know, a lot of people, I play piano. I'm not that great at it. Some people think I'm okay. But I always tell people it just comes through me. Like, I don't really actively think about it. Uh, I hear it. I just hear it in my head. And it's like that Frank Zappa idea. Like, if you can get it out of your head and it actually sounds kind of like what you thought, then that's the best. Do you think that your brain is off, like your subconscious is like this different writer than you and that you have to like argue back and forth? <laughs> I, 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 I kind of feel like when you get out of your own way, that's where the magic is. And it's that way with everything. It's not just music. I feel like, you know, athletes, everything. Once you are able to stay present and kind of what channel that, whatever that thing is, I can't articulate it, but it, it, it is amazing how the universe will kind of inform you. And I've heard songwriters talk about this before where they're just trying to tap into the song and it's, it's all there. It's just a matter of mm-hmm. tapping to it and grabbing it. Um, and, and there are times where you really just don't feel like you're, you've, you've, it, it's weird as a songwriter, you almost feel like, well, it's all, it's all there. The universe, it's there in the universe. You know, I'm, I'm just, channeling something and i and some people like oh that's bs you know whatever but uh that's super you know mystic and or or whatever you want to however you want to to describe that that philosophy but i there have been moments where you songs come about and you're like i don't know how that happened it really Mm -hmm. felt like the universe dropped it in my lap yeah have there been any songs that you know you you really liked the idea like you got it started and you were rolling and it just wasn't coming together and you kind of had to push through it and and that ended up coming out great or or maybe even some that you really really liked in the going and then you had to you know eventually had to bail on oh oh geez so i mean so much of the time that sort of thing happens where you just finally throw in the towel um the amount of and so and mark would probably say the same thing the amount of songs that you start working on that end up being finished are or or ideas that are floating around that no one will ever hear because you just either couldn't come up with the parts to finish it or you just it kind of the shelf life kind of expired or 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 whatever it is but then there are those songs where you you know you've got something you know you have something special right and the the example i was used to you i like to go to for alter bridge is blackbird because with blackbird we had 
the 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 beginning of the the track basically the verse there the intro the verse and kind of the the pink floydy dun, 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 that part but we couldn't find a chorus or a bridge or anything that and it was months and months i want to say like eight months of pushing to try and find the way the, to complete that song and it, i think we're all really grateful that we we didn't give up because it essentially became one of the most important tracks in our catalog um and in a way it was kind of like i feel like that was the genesis of what alter bridge would become as you know it was like once that song was established it was we were like the four of us i think felt like okay now we're now we know where we want to go as a band we were still trying to figure that out given where they came from and where i came from and how to make it work and we established you know the one day remains record which was fun but we were still on that blackbird album and, and writing era we're trying to figure things out you know where are we where, where are we heading so that was that was one of those moments where i always remind myself uh, when something's really difficult as far as um, a, a part I'm chasing down or we're chasing down, if you really believe in it and think it's something special, don't don't, don't abandon it. Come back and revisit it later because you never know it might become your next Blackbird. That's a, a huge yeah. thing that I think is important because there's a lot of people. So for example, I, I've learned to judge people on the music that they don't release versus what they do release. So like Prince or like Van Halen, because like, you know, you, you, I bet you Van Halen has 35 more albums of better stuff than like Van Halen one. But then you hear like the last album was like the leftover demos. But then you think to yourself, why the hell would you care if Eddie Van Halen made 7000 songs in 1977 and he put them back out just like, you know, again, you know, you play with Slash, Axl Rose. They're saying he's playing these songs he's done forever. But like, he's such a consummate songwriter that like, why wouldn't you go back to these tapes? And isn't that awesome that you have so much stuff around that all you need to do is like, go listen to it again and be like, that was a week in 1989 and shit. That's a good single for now. Right. I, I agree with that. I think that, you know, some people really like the idea that it's something, something has been developed in the, it recently and, and it's, but for me, I, a, a good song is a good song, and I and there have been plenty of songs. Even on this last on the Ides of March album, there's a song on there called "Love Rain Down," which that track is 11 years old. You know, and on the first on go yeah, buy it, people go right. buy the Ides of March. Which, which, by the way, I'm very disappointed that you didn't do a vinyl that was signed, so I could actually have a better display than having to buy this <laughs> antiquated thing. They're like CD case thing. So well, you know, I'll, I'll get you one. I, I appreciate you, man. That's that's. That's amazing. <laughs> really, really you, cool. oh, well, Benny is the extreme music fan for I, sure. Of speaking of extreme, that's a great that's a great thing because this is one of the greatest nights of my life. This is a set list. Hold on, from Alter Bridge from April twenty second, two thousand fourteen. Wow. Okay, and the reason it's so special. One, it's the first time I saw you, and I remember making a mental note as the curmudgeonly person that I am. <laughs> that guy's pretty good. <laughs> and then um, it was also the night I met my hero. Nuno Betancourt, who was wow. on our show just the other night. And we actually had a moment where we're in this little vo booth watching you play. And you played a little bit of the Beatles, I think, Blackbird, before you went into Blackbird. And Nuno and I put our arms around each other because we were drunk. Mm. And we started singing Blackbird. <laughs> and I said to myself, I'm standing with Nuno singing the Beatles. And then there's Miles. And then there's Mark Trim Like, Does life get better than this? And we played with Nuno, but it was so all downhill from then. there. But uh, this has been on my wall since 2014. 
That's a, that's amazing. Well, I'm, that's that's amazing. So so you were a Nuno fan as well, and I, I Nuno was actually one of those guys right around when I discovered Frank Gambale and a lot of the guys that in some ways made me want to burn my guitars because they were so good. <laughs> and he was definitely one of those those cats when when I heard uh, what was the track that was on the Bill and Ted's Adventure? Play with me. Play with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just Beethoven. What is happening? Who is that on guitar? So I went and I bought the cassette, the cassette, um, and uh, and we'll talk about a ferocious player. Jeez, his picking technique is insane. How does he do that? <laughs> Been trying to figure that out for many, many years. <laughs> no, no, I'm telling you right now, it's anger. I've we just did a crazy. So I have a love hate relationship with him, and you know we just did an interview for Guitar World, which is the most synchronistic universe manifestation for me. Because if you had asked me when I was fourteen, like who would you want to be in Guitar World with, Nuno, and the guy at Guitar World goes, "How did you get him to play with such chromaticism?" And I'm like, "Dude, I don't know what that means, but I think it was anger. <laughs> it's anger. That's what Nuno focuses it because I'm married. Well, I'm engaged to a Portuguese from the same island, and she has the same anger for which Nuno's right hand. I would works. call it intensity. So, I'm not sure that I would call it anger, but yeah, I, I hear what whatever. You're saying. But I, but I'm telling you, it's a Portuguese thing and Boston thing because I think the <laughs> mixture between Boston and, and Portugal is the answer to your question. It's like that I'm in the line at Dunkin' Donuts, but I also come from a beautiful place to go back to that place. But it costs money, so I'm just going to play as fast as I can so I can earn money to go back there. <laughs> That's a very fascinating concept. I dig it. I think it's it's cool. (laughs) Well, going back, I wanted to ask you a question about Blackbird. So you mentioned that you had to wait this long period of time to have that breakthrough moment of the song kind of coming to completion. What what was that moment like? Like, what was it that triggered that idea that that kind of pulled it all together? Okay. Well, so we were in the record. We were in the. not in the recording studio. We were in the rehearsal studio where we'd been for months and months and months. Every, like every, I don't know. It, it was it was just an arduous process, and we re- were revisiting that song um, among other songs, and we kept getting to the what was going to be the chorus, and there was and nothing. It was just there's nothing. So we finally look at each other and we're like, let's just disappear. Mark and I were like, let's just go in separate rooms and. See, we're going to do it. We're going to come up with it this afternoon and just move on. So I went in this other room and there are other bands rehearsing, right? And there's all this noise. It was basically just this total. So which one of you is David Bowie and which one of you is Freddie Mercury before <laughs> Under Pressure? You're going separate rooms. You're going separate rooms. Uh, I, I actually, there's a, I love. I Keep love, the pandas apart. That's, that's What an incredible story about how that song was. I just watched a document, documentary on that. It's just amazing. But anyways, I, I'm going off. This. We can okay, always go to Queen. I love you. that. <laughs> um, so there was all this, just there was a cacophony of just sound. Like there were no real, like, there was no chord progressions or melodies. Did you say cacophony? Exactly. Jason Becker. I, I, I this, is his actual, this is his actual guitar. Is it really? And I'm actually, I'm wearing his shirt because I was actually going to try to tell you. I guess thank you for the awesome, awesome open. Sorry, well, let's, I know let's my finish, was let's finish the story. Finish your we'll, statement, we'll come back to and it. I'll, we'll go back to it. <laughs> so, anyways, it was just this cacophony of of just s- sounds, and out of that, like it was kind of like all of a sudden I just heard it. It was just like na da 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 da, blackbird fly away, may you never be broken again. And I grabbed the guitar and I was like, well. I mean, I think that's what the universe just <laughs> just informed me with. And I ran back into the main room and said, hey, what do you guys 
think of this and that was it and and that was what was fascinating was we plugged that chorus in and then the bridge part just kind of happened it was like let's well, let's go to this change here the 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 bridge is interesting because to me it's very Buckley. It's like what Buckley. It's it's a harmonically it's where Buckley goes with certain things when he's building things up. So we went there and kind of uh, it just blossomed. And then I came up with this little dun, 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 and Mark had that really awesome bridge part uh, on top. That's like secondary bridge that I solo over. But it was what was really cool was. We were we were playing the song. We were on the home stretch. We're like, we've got it. Like we're five minutes in. The song is done, and then uh, you know, on the outro, Mark's like, do that thing you were doing during the during the breakdown of the bridge, and put that over the top of it. And it all just kind of it happened. So we recorded it, put it on my laptop, and I remember going back to his house later that night, doing like the two or three hour rule, not listening to it, and then pressing play and sitting there for seven minutes and just going, oh. We, we 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 finally did i i called i called and i was like you got to get in here and just and it was just a wonderful i mean it was just the moment i'll never forget i will never ever forget that i'll never forget us him and i sitting together looking at each other just going we did it we we finally we tamed that tamed that beast and um and it was wonderful yeah that's an amazing story wow dude that that's intense so i i mean i guess i'll follow it with the I'm just soaking it in because sometimes I actually do appreciate things and internalize them. But you said cacophony <laughs> and it's a great open because I'm trying to raise awareness for ALS with uh, that's why I'm wearing my suck up Jason Becker uh, shirt, which, by the way, he sent me, which makes me feel really good about myself because I awesome. they, they sent this for me. Uh, but we we purchased all of his guitars to raise money for him and his family. Um, and the promise that we made to Jason was we wanted to keep putting this guitar in people's hands so that, you know, we could continue to raise awareness because he's by far not the only person with ALS and there's awareness. And a lot of people you would think, obviously I know you're a very studious guitarist, but there's a lot of people that don't know his story. And for me, like one of my biggest inspirations, whenever I was like, Oh, I can't learn this or how am I ever going to be good? I would go listen to Jason Becker and watch his story and be like, shame on you. Go practice. So I championed a hashtag ALS awareness for Jason. And I had like Nita Strauss from Alice Cooper uh, play this on stage for Schools Out. Um, my friends in Godsmack have committed to playing it on stage. And we had uh, uh, Cradle of Filth come down, Gary Sharon and Pat Badger shot with this. So I wanted to invite you, if you're ever in Boston, to come play Jason's guitar and, you know, help raise awareness for ALS. That simple. I would be honored. I, that's, I think that's amazing that you're that you're doing that. His story is so, um, it, it's an incredible story. I mean, I remember hearing about him initially through, you know, cacophony. Cause I was that geeky kid reading the, all the guitar magazines and, and all that. And, and, and what, when I heard what him and Marty were doing, I was like, well, it, once again, it was kind of like Nuno and, and Frank and Bob. It's like, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to achieve that level of technical prowess. So you just admire it from afar and go wow and then he gets the david lee roth gig and you know then you know the rest of the story and it's just a you know it's but it's an inspiring story because he's still you know he went on composing found a way to still create you you know he mm-hmm. it, not like he just it, it's really i don't know i think i was it's really interesting it's like the universe right now is is doing something because i remember thinking about his situation about two weeks ago i was just I don't know, for whatever reason, it just came to mind. So the fact that this is happening is like, hmm, 
fascinating. Um, yeah, he's 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 definitely um, an inspiring individual, without a doubt. So I would be honored. Well, and my goal, just so you know, and I said this to him um, on the phone, which is crazy because you have to talk to his mom, who interprets uh, his uh, handler, who's basically reading his eyes. So it's right. like a. Cr- like I, it's hard not to cry, you know what I mean? But what I want to do is I want to help uh, co-produce a song with him because I think that the problem, you know, it's it, first off, imagine being locked in your mind and you're Chopin, right? And you have an Ouija board and you're like, but I'm saying pianissimo at the fourth bar to someone who doesn't know music. So it's right. got to be really hard to for, for him to get it all out. Whereas I'd like to think I'm an okay composer. So maybe I can throw a bunch of stuff at him and he says, what piece of crap of my music is any good? And then gives me direction. Then maybe he and I can figure out a way. So I, I want to try doing that because I feel like everything that's been done for Jason is let's find all the craziest guitar players in the world and have them shred. Whereas the thing that made me love Jason and Marty Friedman was that they were so well composed despite being so over the top, which is what right. I love about your playing because you, even though you don't play as fast as them, you played the right notes. And that's the thing I think is most important in a guitar player and you play with Tremonti and Slash so they clearly think you're okay too <laughs> well that's you know that's I don't know I I, I I think it's really cool what you're doing though that's uh that's really really amazing so keep it up I would be I would be honored next time I'm in Boston we'll we'll get in touch and I would be thrilled amazing well, so coming back to uh, to you and to songwriting and, you know, talking about Mark Tremonti, can you tell us a little bit about the story of how you two got connected, uh, the genesis of Alter Bridge, just maybe for the listeners that might not be familiar with your journey? I think, you know, it would be great to hear how that came about. Sure. Um, so with Alter Bridge, um, we, let's see, the, I guess the first time I met those guys was in 1998. I was in a band called the Mayfield Four and we were opening for Creed as just, it was before they were the massive entity they became like in 99 and 2000. So it was like July of 2000, I'm sorry, July of 1998. And, and we opened the tour. It was us first and a band called Fuel, who's, who, had, who had a few hits at the time. And then Creed um, closed the show. And I, I didn't have a ton of interaction with, with those guys. I think that, um, I think Mark and I, the extent of our meeting was in the, in the cafeteria at the Hard Rock, uh, just kind of passing by and we're like, oh yeah, we're on the tour together and we kind of bump fists and nice to see it. <laughs> so I was really surprised when five years later I get this phone call right around, right around Thanksgiving of 2003 and it's Mark and he's basically reaching out to see if I'd be interested in, in, in maybe doing something. And next thing you know, six weeks later, I'm in Orlando and uh, we're, we're, we're working on songs and a lot of which he'd already had written. So it was, it was, it was wonderful because I came down and just, uh, here's, here's, here's a track, sing, sing this. And so it, it was able, we were able to get the machine up and rolling really quickly, but that was, that was how it all came to be. So was he silently watching you for all that period? That's so interesting that you don't hear from him for years and then all of a sudden you get a phone call. So something else must have been going on, right? Yeah, well, it's funny because I, my, at the label, someone from the label, my A&R person or somebody, somebody there called and told me, yeah, Mark Tremonti called asking for your information. I was like, what, really? And it was like a few months prior to the, to the, to the, the call. So yeah, I didn't know what was going on there. And I guess what happened was there was a friend of his who, um, 
played him the second record that Mayfield did called uh, Second Skin, and there's a track on there called Summer Girl. And I guess when he heard that track, he he really liked that, and he really liked the vocals on it. And I think that that was maybe the the catalyst for reach for reaching out um so yeah you'd have to ask him this the specifics but it, it uh, sounds it sounds to me like a lot of people are trying to like stalk you as a musician because you have <laughs> tremonti sees you five years before but then i read a story about jimmy page uh or one of the, the zeppelin camp called you because you just happened to do a cover of zeppelin over the pond at Wembley, which, by the way, like that's a gravitas ballsy move, and I've seen the video, so mission accomplished, sir. But I heard that you got the call. You know, uh, Mark talked about it. I have to ask you. You've worked with Slash, who is a goat of mine. You have Tremonti, who, like, by many people, like, is the end all be all. But you got Jimmy Page in a room with you. What the fuck goes through your mind? <laughs> pretty much the uh, like i always bring up the ideas is this am i living in the matrix is this real real? is this real come on like what are the chances seriously um yeah that was that was a a very special period in in life um yeah i i got a call from i'd met jason bonham during the rocks the filming of rockstar and we were i think we were actually rehearsing some of the scenes and, and there's just some downtime and i remember sitting down next to him just expressing my appreciation for his father's legacy and what i discovered very quickly is how receptive he is to that because he's so proud of, of his, his, everything his dad achieved and, and that that band and and uh, so that was really neat um so fast forward Geez, what was it? Uh, seven years later, something like that. And I get this text from Jason, and I'm in Germany, and we just played a festival in Germany. I think in Rock Rock I think Rock'em Park. I think we just played, mm-hmm. and um, and he's like, "Hey, I have a favor. Can you can you can you call me?" So I'm like, "Sure." I thought he wanted tickets for a friend of his over in over in Europe for a show or something, and um, he basically laid it out he's like yeah i'm here in london jamming with some some friends as he said we, we were just wondering if you'd be interested in coming over this weekend to jam and i was like well who, who are your friends <laughs> <laughs> and then he told me and i was like i was i mean what do you it was, it was just it was just surreal and so i said well, yeah I'll, I'll see you this weekend <laughs> Wow. How, how do you feel stepping into situations like that? I mean, I I, I feel like this is something that I've felt in, in various ways that you do stuff and you're never really ready for it. You just kind of have to do it, you know. So I, I don't know if you relate to that or, you know, if you ever feel ready for the things that you do. Um, but how did you feel at that moment? I, it, I, it, it's so true what you say. You, you never at least I don't um, ever feel completely ready. There's always more work to be done before you're put in that realm that the, the, with that of that magnitude i should say um i think that what i told myself obviously i was excited freaked out every emotion you could fathom um i remember the next day went we went to rock and ring there in in, in nuremberg and mm-hmm. and there's a, where the bands hang out um there's a there's like a a, a big track and yeah, I mean, we've that, my band played there a couple of years ago, so I know yeah, exactly what you're talking about. Exactly, yeah, exactly. It's it's really cool. Yeah. Um, and I remember just pace, just walking it, just just think, just like running the situation through my mind. What what was this going to be? How cra- you know? 
and, and all these emotions were, were happening. I was just trying to work through it. And, um, and I told myself by the end of that little walk, I was like, you know what? I'm going to just enjoy this. I'm just going to go in and have fun and take, take the, the ego out of the equation yeah, it, it is what it it is what it is, and um, just be grateful that you get to step in a room with these guys. The guys who ultimately, and I told them this, and I just, it was a very Chris Farley moment where I I looked at them and I said, "You guys basically wrote the blueprint for everything that I do." And the minute I and they just kind of looked at me like, <laughs> but you know, it's like the, they probably heard it a thousand times, and they yeah. were pretty the one up. But the minute right after it came out of my mouth, I was like Chris Farley when he's interviewing. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. You remember, oh, you remember did when? Did you really die? Yeah. Did you really yeah. die? <laughs> exactly. So I, so, but it was, it was, it was wonderful. I'm grateful for it. Beyond, beyond grateful. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I see Ben patiently waiting with his list well, of questions. Well, so, so that he knows. So Miles, I don't ever prepare, but like there were so many things that I wanted to ask you because, okay, this is one because you have a new single out called a thousand words and I watched this video and I'm a stoner. Okay. <laughs> Did you like get wicked high and then watch dire straits and aha and like, and Peter Gabriel and be like, let's do that. Cause that's how I felt when I, and by the way, that's like the greatest concoction. Like if you were a bartender, take that note. One part, aha, two parts, Sultan, Sultan of swing. And then a little sledgehammer. Right. And we got miles Kennedy's video. Can you tell us about it? It's called yeah. a thousand words. I wrote it down. A thousand. No, words. that's not, that's, that's from, no, no, that's, uh, I, I, I can't even read my home right. I love that song, but that's not the one we're talking about. What's the name of the new single? Because well, I can't even read my handwriting. So in a thousand words, we also did that same con- same director, Stefano, did that video. And he also did the first one, which is the same sort of thing, which is in stride. So that yeah, you're they're very similar in terms of the 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 overall vibe and that's what well, he did. But it's not the same song. <laughs> it's all right. It's all it's all good. That's what happens when you take notes, Ben. You just need to go with what's in your brain. Well, I mean, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff. So, like, I wrote that Moonshot, he was debating between D major or D minor. I wanted to say D minor was so right. Because one of the things that you need to know about is that, like, I love when people take the road less traveled. And, like, you do that so pleasantly with your harmony. <laughs> I, You know what? I got to tell you, that means you have no idea how much that means. Because <laughs> I'm obsessed about that change for two hours. And I was thinking about it the other day because I was I do these Q&As uh, during my live thing sometimes during like we for the for this meet and greet. And um, so during the Q&A, I was telling the story about this, how that song was put together and I made it sound like it was really easy and it was written in like two hours but then I realized that that change in and of itself trying to figure out whether to go to the you know you're gonna go G and then we could go we could go D major that's what the ear wants to hear but then I was like you know if you just flatten they take that third and drop it a half step it's gonna make it a little darker you know instead of in moonshot we can't can't go can't stop and i was like that's gonna make that melody just go it's gonna be so unpredictable and i was like you know as a songwriter how many times have you done that predictable thing i was like let's screw with that minor third let's take that minor third and then take the melody and 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 weave accordingly and so to hear you say that you picked up on that makes me feel so good because it's so much obsession i remember my call my wife and like hey does this sound weird to you <laughs> 
And she's like, no, honey, it sounds just fine. <laughs> but isn't that one of those things when you grow up, you're like, okay, I love that the Beatles did this and that Freddie Mercury did this crazy vocal thing, but it only works if you hit the seventh chord. And like, I feel like you make an internal thing, like you were saying earlier with Jeff Buckley. You're like, well, we're building it up like Jeff would. And if anyone listened to Jeff Buckley, first off, one of the greatest guitar players that doesn't get the credit that he, he deserves. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a very, was this very studious guy, but his... His chord progressions as a singer-songwriter is right up there at the top for me as far as his ability to just play these crazy inversions and the way he goes from things. And it's so decisive. And I feel like that's one of the things I love about your playing is what made Jeff Buckley good was because he he underplayed for himself, but for the average listener, it was like, what the hell is he doing? That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff was... I agree. I could not agree more. He he is so underrated. Um, I, 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 it's one of those things because he's such an exceptional vocalist that his guitar chops were... You know, he... I, was it Rick Beato that was telling me this recently? That he went to Musicians Institute and apparently he could... He could shred with the best of them. He could he could hang on with 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 hang out with a lot of those guys, and um, but when he became the singer songwriter that we know him as, and keep in mind this was in the early to mid '90s when that more technical prowess was kind of shunned for a little while. So I could maybe understand why he chose to take a different direction, um, and and you know approach his things musically and harmonically the way he did and i'm glad because it 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 was so it was like jimmy page um he was like the combination of he was like robert plant jimmy page and i don't know i mean i insert genius (laughs) (laughs) why are they not genius isn't that redundant if you said robert plant and jimmy page like they're 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 both geniuses absolutely but he was the one person (laughs) well you know he had he was able to take all of that and make it as one as one guy and um yeah it, it was it was exceptional i saw him perform in may of 1995 on that I think it was a mystery white boy tour it was a little theater about 500 people and it, it was probably the most intense musical experience I'll ever have when he played the song grace and he got to the end of the song you know wait in the fire wait in the fanny that goes higher and higher and higher and then he hits those high notes you know as you all probably we're all addicted to music because we're addicted to those goosebumps you get goosebumps or you, sometimes it'll make you tear up music free song exactly Exactly. It's a it's that it's an extremely powerful medium. I remember sitting there as he was playing that performing that song and it was beyond goosebumps, it was beyond tears. It was like a state of it was like transcendent. It was inc- it was absolutely incredible. And I remember looking around the room and everyone was just I've never seen anything like it. I've never I probably never I just made it. a crazy observation after listening to you say that that I've noticed that a lot of the greatest musicians that come on to our show have like a rain man like memory it was like it was a march it was in March on a Wednesday <laughs> I was wearing black shoes and I was go because you have these opera condition moments like I remember when I saw Dimebag Daryl for the last time I remember his solo almost note for note in my head I can't remember what I did three minutes ago or where my keys are and I think that that's amazing because when you're talking about music and I've seen other interviews you're like it was a gloomy day when I was in London but man the lyrics came I'm like how does he remember this shit but then I realized it's because you're so passionate about it that it takes you to a moment it's like a photograph for you yeah yeah no that's a good point I I, I don't have 
a really incredible memory by in fact i'm one of these guys like lyrically i can't remember my own lyrics to save my life but but as far <laughs> as like important musical moments yeah those are those are kind of you know all the details and uh march 19th 1982 what happened march 19th 1982 Come on, Ben. What are you getting at? Why don't you? Use well, it's power? okay. This is a great segue because one of the things that this <laughs> makes me think of. Randy Rose. I have. About. Yep. I have Miles oh. Kennedy and Slash. So this, other than Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes, I've never seen a guitar player of this level ever get the same uh, kind of a billing. But Randy Rhodes, we lost on March 19th, 1982. And Ozzy said that the first time he ever did a double billing was with Randy. Ozzy slash Randy. And I thought that that was really interesting because I've been looking at the slash Miles Kennedy record. And I think that it's pretty amazing that it's slash with Miles Kennedy and the conspirators that they actually put your name because you're, you're an A-lister with slash. Well, I don't know. Like Randy <laughs> with Ozzy. But, but, but no. not the guitarist. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it. I, I can't believe you have all this stuff. This is incredible. Like, you've got all this stuff framed. Like I'm the biggest nerd you've ever met, man. It's pretty wild what he's got in there. Yeah. I love this. <laughs> I love, you know what I have? I'm going to share this with you since, since we're all fellow music geeks. I have, I'm going to grab it right now. And it's perfectly blurred out background at yeah. 2.8. Yeah, it's, oh, it's a, coming in. Good, 2.8. Yeah. You, yeah. You know, <laughs> So smart. I like it. You know what this is? This is Johnny Winter's beard right here. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my <Dude>. God. <laughs> That's awesome. That, wow. Is there a story behind that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like getting ready to cut it. And this was May of 1980 when he cut it. And there's the actual beard right there. So, yeah. yeah oh, thought, my God. That's pretty freaking badass. <laughs> wow. My, my, I'm my, stunned. My agent actually, uh, he gave that to me. I thought that was one of the coolest. My uh, booking agent in Europe, uh, John Jackson, gave that to me, and I thought that was one of the coolest. Yeah, you got to step up your game, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, I have the most random thing ever that somebody gave me. This is a piece of Elvis's car. Some dude made these, actually took up the upholstery and reupholstered his like 56 Chevy or whatever, and then cut up the upholstery and then made these beautiful Elvis cards so he can give out a little piece of Elvis's ass mark that's of the Chevy. So, I mean, if that's not cool, I don't know what is. That's pretty damn cool. That's right. pretty big. Uh, it's yeah. going to be hard to top. But uh, as we, we wind down in our part one, our first hour here with Miles, once again, we appreciate you hanging with us. Hope you'll stick around for part two. And uh, I think we can, you know... Dive a little Did you notice how crisp his microphone sounded the whole time? It's so crisp. It's Perfect. incredible. It's so nice to listen to. I don't even want yes. to talk. Ruin yeah, it. I'm, a, I'm a little ashamed. I don't, how does one go and buy one? Because I feel like that's something we should tell them as a business right off for our company. You know, you can go to MilesKennedy.com. <laughs> I mean, SE, SE. will it make me sound like you? Can, can I sing like you if I if I have this? Will it make me does sound better? Does it come better? with the talent? Yeah. Yeah. It's got a flex capacitor built in. You can use any. You know. You know. There you go. Okay. Amazing. It's the Rob Halford setting. Well, check out 2020-D.com and stay tuned for part two with Miles Kennedy. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-D.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode 109 featuring Nuno Betancourt of Extreme. Check it out. Fuck all that. What I walked away from was doing an album with fucking Ozzy as me. Do you understand? 
Like me being the Randy Rhodes, me being that fucking Jake Lee, me being that guy. It, they said it to me. It's like, you go to the fucking airport right now and you fucking tell extreme people to fuck themselves. And you got a jet waiting, private jet. I want a private jet for the rest of the fucking year and the rest of the fucking two years. And I'm fucking doing the next Ozzy album. And I'm fucking writing songs. And I'm writing the next Mr. Fucking Crawl. How about that? Fucking bullshit. Like, as a kid, thinking that I had the possibility to fucking do that. And I was like, no. I'm a high school dropout. I'm stupid. No. <laughs> <laughs> Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. <laughs>